again. I keep I drop things up here. Preaching a funeral Sunday, and I just about knocked my glasses across the uh, hallway there. It's bad, you know. You got to have them, and then you don't need them. And there's I can't preach with them because I can't see anything if I do this. But I can't see the words to sing the songs if I don't do this. So some of you can appreciate that. Amen. Anyway, I'll try not to knock them off my desk here. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 through 21. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. He that loves not knoweth not God, for God is love. And this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us, and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwells in us, and His love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in Him, and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwells in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has to us. God is love, and he that dwells in love dwells in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear has torment. He that fears is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God, and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he that loves not his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God loveth his brother also. In verses 7 through 21, John uses some form of that word over 25 times. And so he's intent on showing us how important it is for believers to love one another. And the fact that, if you've been noticing in this letter, that he's repeating that theme over and over shows that there was probably a problem in that church with love, that that the people there weren't really loving one another. And by nature, uh, humans are very selfish. We're unloving. Now, we love our children. We love our husband or our wife, or we love our family members. But too often, love is focused merely on the people in our life that we deem matter. We love those people. Uh, But when a person becomes a believer, what God does is He puts them into a new family. And they meet with that family on a regular basis to worship the Heavenly Father. And it's imperative that when we meet together and when we see one another on the street outside of the church, that we show love to one another. And so in these passages, I want to share six reasons from this text here that believers are to show love one to another. And the first one is this, we are to love because it's our nature. Look at what John says in verses 7 and 8. In verse 8, John says that God is love. What that means is God defines what love is. If you look at God, you'll see absolutely perfect love. In God's love, He created us. In God's love, He continues to provide for every living thing on this earth. Psalm 145 and verse 9 says, The Lord is good to all, and His mercies are over all of His works. Uh, In His love, He's provided salvation to the world. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. 
And John tells us here that the love we possess as, as believers comes from this great God who loves us. Look at verse 7. He says, love is of God. What does that mean? That means love proceeds from Him. The love comes from Him. We could not love the way that God tells us to love if God had not imparted His divine love to us. Um, the love that you and I have as believers is the same love that God has manifested to this watching world. Romans 5.5 5 tells us that the love of God has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. John tells us that the love we have is a result of the new birth. In verse 7, he says, Everyone that loves is born of God. So obviously, he's talking about a special kind of love there. He's not saying, well, if you love your dad, or if you love your dog, or you love your aunt, you're going to heaven. Jesus said in Matthew 5.46 that even lost people love people they're supposed to love. They love the people who love them back. So John's talking here about a special kind of love that's a result of being saved. Special kind of love that's a result of being born again. And it's the result of knowing who God is. In verse 8 he says that those that do not love God in this manner do not know God. What does that mean? That means they're not saved. See, we love because it's our new nature. This loving God of the universe has now made us partakers of His divine nature. Love is the result of our union with Him. When you get saved, when, when God saves you, you will love in a different way than you loved before you were saved. And that's one of the ways, by the way, you know you've, you've, you've been saved. You know, maybe you used to hate people, and maybe you were okay with hating people. But then you get saved and it's hard to love some people, but in your heart you can't hate them anymore. Because when you hate them, the conviction of the Holy Spirit comes and you say, God, help me, amen? Help me to love these people. So, so here we see that this is the nature of God. This love is the result of being born again. Second thing, we love because God loves us. You see this expressed in verses 9-11. through 11. And John really here expresses beautifully in those verses how we know that God loves us. Let's break them down. First notice verse 10. John makes it clear that our salvation is not the result of our loving God. John says, not that we loved God, but that God loved us. Some people seem to think that God's just looking around for the people that love Him. And if God can just find the people that love Him, then God will save those people. But Romans 5.10 says that when we were reconciled to God, we were enemies of God. That we didn't love God. By the way, if we had loved God, we would not need to be saved. Because Jesus said the great commandment is to love God. If you're keeping that commandment, you're keeping every other commandment. And so if we were already loving God, we wouldn't need to be saved because that's what it means to be saved. Now notice in verse 9, John tells us how the love of God has been revealed to believers. Through Christ. Through Christ becoming man, through Him bearing our sins on the cross. Now usually we think about that and we kind of think, well that's a general thing. Christ died for the sins of the world. But I want you to notice the end of verse 9. John says all of this was done that we might live through Him. John makes it personal there. Believers personally recognize that God has a personal love for them. We understand the cross not in some generic, abstract way, but we understand the cross in a very particular way. 
It's not just folklore to us. It's not just some religious doctrine to us. This is personal. God has shown us as individuals how much He loves us because He sent His Son to die for the sins of Kyle Giddens, for the sins of, of Ron Lowry, for the sins of Pam Davidson. He, 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 he came for us as individuals. You know, that word, there's a big word in there in verse 10, propitiation. What does that mean? That, that's a big word that, that means sacrifice and it carries the idea of Jesus being punished for you. Deep theological term, that word propitiation. It has to do with God being satisfied because Jesus took the punishment that you and I deserved. And when we think about that, it's personal. Now after, after establishing that God loves us, John tells us in verse 11, well then we ought to love one another. It's just a, a natural response to the love of God. God loves you then you should love people. Right? God's our example. God's shown His love to us by sending His Son to be the sacrifice for their sins. And therefore, you and I are to show our love for other people as well. By the way, I mean, when you think about how much greater the love of God is, what we're called to do is far lesser because God loves the people that are nothing like Him. God is absolutely holy. God is absolutely perfect. God has been nothing but good to us. And so we are so different than God, yet God loves us. But guess what? We're just like the rest of the, rest of the world, aren't we? So it shouldn't be as difficult for us to love the world as it is for God to love the world. Because when God loves the world, man, He condescends. He comes down. We're loving the world. They're just like us. They're just like us. Now the third thing is, is we love because it's the testimony that, that Christ has called us to have. Jesus said in John 13, 35, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you have love one to another. In other words, the proof that you love God is that you love people. John says in verse 12, No man has seen God. Now, John saw Jesus and Jesus was God, right? But... The Bible teaches that, that the glory of God was veiled in the humanity of Jesus. That that, that that was God walking around in the flesh, no doubt about that. Yet His glory was veiled. It wasn't a fullness you saw. They saw it on the Mount of Transfiguration. And then we have like other places in the Bible um, where, where Exodus, where, where Moses saw the back part of God... But nobody has really seen God in His fullness. And John tells us in verse 12 that if we love one another, um, I'm listening to that thunder and I'm sitting there worried and it's messing up my train of thought. I apologize, y'all. He says, if you love one another, people will see God. People have never seen God, but if you love one another, he says people will see God. He says that the love of God is going to be perfected in us. God's not walking around on this earth like He was when Jesus was here. He's not doing that. When Jesus was here, man, He manifested perfect love. People could see what perfect love looked like. Every person who came into contact saw the perfect love of God in Jesus. Now as believers, this wonderful Jesus lives on the inside of us and now we're to display this love to a, to a world that's watching. 
And again, he goes back to that idea, how is this done? By the Spirit of God. By the Spirit of God. The love of God has been given to us by the Spirit of God. He continues in verse 14 to tell us what the Spirit has done for us. That the Spirit has opened our eyes to the truth about Jesus. We have seen, he says. He inspires us to share the gospel message. He says, we testify. What are we testifying? That the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. See, see, Christ has called us to love one another because we represent God on this earth. The world should look at us and see that beautiful truth of the gospel that God sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. And if we fail to do that, He says that we prove that, that we don't know the Lord. We hide, by the way. We hide God's grace from a world that desperately needs salvation when we don't live our life for the glory of of God. Now I understand a lot of this is, is repetitious. And you look at this and you think, man, he, he's kind of saying the same thing over and over. And, and he is. But it goes back to what I said at the beginning. I think that there was such a terrible problem in that church with people not loving one another. And, and you know, love is one of those things where it, it seems like such a simple thing to say we should love one another, doesn't it? I don't think anybody's going to disagree with that. You say, well, we should love one another. Well, of course, yes, yes, yes. But have you ever noticed when it comes time to do that, a lot of people don't want to do it. Right? When it comes time to really forgive somebody, when it comes time to really dwell together in unity, when it comes time to really put another person before ourselves, we don't want to do that. And I think that's probably what was happening at the church. Something that was so simple. And you say, what are you preaching on love for? Of course, we all know we're supposed to love one another. Well, it doesn't do any good to know it if you don't do it, does it? In fact, it may work against you. Now, the next thing he says is, is we love because we dwell in God. Two times in verses 15 and 16, John says that believers dwell in God and that God dwells in believers. What does it mean to dwell? It means to live in. It means to continue in. And I want us to notice that John says, he shows us here how this comes about. In verse 16 he says, And we have known and believed the love God has to us. Now, what does that mean? That means you believe the gospel. In verse 15, he says, Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God. It's interesting. You put those two truths together, and you really get a picture of, of what a person has to do to dwell in God. We have to believe the gospel, and we have to confess Christ as Lord. And that's exactly what Paul said in Romans chapter 10, verse 10. How does God dwell you, and how do you dwell in God? You believe the gospel, and you confess Christ as Lord. So what is he doing? Again, he's going back to this real basic truth that love is the result of being saved. Love is the result of being saved. We love because we dwell in God and God dwells in us. And the presence of God within us is manifested through righteous actions on this earth. At the forefront of those actions is a love for God and a love for people. So over and over, he's going to tell you, love, 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 love. 
Next we see that, that we love because it, it gives us confidence. Verses 17, 17 through 19 are really beautiful verses. Uh, they describe the, the, the believer's hope. They teach us that you can know you're saved. You can know you're saved. So I want us to look at those verses pretty, pretty closely. The first thing you notice is that not everyone is certain that they're saved. Here's an interesting thing. There are people who think they're saved, but aren't. And then there are people who don't think they're saved, but are. Isn't that interesting? You say, well, how can a person think they're not saved, but be saved? Well, let's, let's look at this. Um, John talks about our love here being, being made perfect. And that speaks of maturity. That speaks of spiritual growth. As you grow in the grace of God, you bear more of the fruit of the Spirit. Therefore, you grow in love because love is a fruit of the Spirit. Mature believers have this growing love, this abiding love, a love for God, a love for people. Immature believers are described in verse 18 as being tormented by fear. What is that fear? The fear is the anxiety they're experiencing as they're thinking about the fact that they might not be saved. They think, well, maybe I'm not saved. Maybe I'm not saved. They're worried to death if they're saved or not. And so this, this maturity in your love for God and your love for people is a result of growing in the grace of God. It's the result of being a Christian who is a full-grown adult, not just a babe in Christ. And John says then that you can have boldness in the day of judgment. In other words, you know that when you stand before God, you're not going to be condemned. John tells us in verse 18, he says, this is how you cast out that fear. He said, mature love cast out that fear. When you love God and you love people in the way that you're supposed to, you're not going to fear God's wrath because you're going to know that you're saved. This is the assurance of salvation in the subjective sense. In other words, not that you just believe what the Bible says, but that you believe what the Bible says and the Spirit of God is confirming within you. Yes, you are indeed a child of God. And according to 2 Peter 1.9, all of that's dependent upon spiritual growth. You don't grow in your salvation. You don't grow in this love for God and this love for people. Then there will be days in your life where you wonder, hey, am I saved at all? Am I even a Christian? Verse 19, by the way, deals with your confidence in salvation as well. It shows us there that our salvation, we love Him because He first loved us. It shows that our, that our salvation isn't dependent upon ourselves. We say, well, why, why do I love God? Well, I love God because He first loved me. God initiated this salvation. God came to me and what God starts, Philippians 1.6, He'll finish. In verse 17, John says, as He is, so are we in the world. What does that mean? That means we are Christ-like. We are Christ-like. Our, our life has been transformed. We're, we're living our life in a Christ-like way. You know, when you think about being clothed in the righteousness of Jesus, which is what justification is, that's when you begin to realize that your salvation did not come from within you. That your salvation came outside of you. It came to you. And maturity in the Lord brings you to the place where you recognize, Lord, I didn't save myself. You saved me. 
you saved me. And I wonder about that sometimes. If, you know, if you're, if you're a person like, like me who didn't grow up in church, I, I think maybe that's a little easier to understand. You know what I mean? Because you just have this radical conversion experience type thing. But then I wonder about people sometimes who grow up in church. I wonder, you know, is, is there a struggle there? Do, do they think about, okay, uh, how, how did this salvation come to me? Did this salvation come to me just because I had a Christian mom and dad or just because I had a grandma that took me to church? Or is that how it came? Well, when you think about that, you have to understand the providence of God. You have to ask yourself this question. Why was I born into a Christian home? There's a lot of people who weren't. Amen? Why do I have a grandmother who talks to me about the things of the Lord and, and brings me to church? Why, why is, is that anything I did? Is that anything that comes from within me? No, it's nothing that comes from within you. It's the very providence of God. God had you born into that Christian family. And you should look at that and then you should say, you know what, Lord, my salvation is because of you. Because there's no way I could have chosen to be born into a Christian family and heard the gospel and, and been saved. And so even if you're a person that didn't have this radical conversion experience, when you mature in the Lord and you grow in your faith, you come to the realization that you are a Christian because God loved you first. Not because you loved Him first, but because God loved you first. And that maturity in the Lord is a wonderful, wonderful thing because what that does is, is that helps you in your assurance of your salvation. God wanted me. Amen? God came to me. God rescued me. God saved me. And then next, we love because it confirms our salvation. John doesn't want people thinking that they're saved because they just, you know, heard the facts and repeated a prayer. Verse 20, he makes it clear that salvation is revealed in our love for others. If a man say, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he that loves not his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? So, you know, we've heard this over and over in John's uh, letter here. If a person claims to love God but doesn't love people, well, they're a liar. And then in verse 21, he reminds us that loving one another isn't a suggestion. He says, this is a command. You just can't do it. You can't hate people and love God. You just can't do it, y'all. That's, that's as clear as it can be. You can't hate people and love God. Because the same God that commands him, you to love Him is the same God who commands you to love people. And Jesus told us, He said, if we loved Him, we'd keep His commandments. And those are the two commandments. Love God and love people. Every other commandment falls under one of those categories. Either loving God or loving people. That's why Jesus said, all the law and all the prophets hang on these two commandments. Love God and love people. You love God and you love people and you'll live right. That's it, right? You love God and you love people and you'll, you'll, you'll live right. Now, now the second part of verse 20 really is an easy part to, to interpret. The point is obvious though. John says we can't claim to love someone we have not seen when we refuse to love someone we have seen. You see what he says there? For he that loves not his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen. Now, this is what I think John means. 
If we don't love people, how do we know we'll love God when we see God? Because if you don't love people, then you have, well, or certain people, there's always somebody you love. If there are people you don't love, then you have what's called a conditional love, right? It's a love that says, well, I'll love you if these things are true. If these things are not true, well, then I'm just not going to love you. That's a conditional love, right? So John's argument is, is hey, if you have a conditional love, if you have boxes that have to be checked off for you to love people that you have seen, how do you know that you're going to love God because you haven't seen God yet and God may not check off all those boxes for you? God may not meet all your requirements because clearly you have a conditional view of love. And you may get up there and say, well, God, I didn't know that about you. If I had known that about you, I just wouldn't love you at all. So it's just like a logical thing he's saying here. I think that's what John's saying. But here's the thing, y'all. God hasn't called us to analyze Him. God hasn't called us to look Him over and then determine if He is worthy of our love. Because I want to tell you something. He looked us over and we were not worthy of His love. It's only by grace that He loves us. Only by grace that He chooses to love us. So how in the world could you and I ever say, well, God, we don't know if you love, we love you yet. Let's, let's take a look at you first. You know what God says? God just says, love me. God says, love me and love people. That's the command. And that love is not to be based on the person meeting our standards or being particularly appealing to us in any way. Why do we love people? We just love people because God said to. Right? No, you don't, be honest. There are people you would not love if God didn't tell you to. Amen? You know I'm telling the truth right there. You know I am. You wish God would say, well, you don't have to love Him. Whew, thank you, Lord. You love because God tells you to love people. I'm including myself in this. This isn't easy. We love because God tells us to do it. But John's point is a great point. If, if we aren't willing to love some people, how can we be for sure that we love God? Because we know so little about God right now. When we see Him face to face, when we know as we are known, when we're in glory, and we see Him in all of His fullness, how will we be sure that we love God if our view of love is conditional? It's your love that confirms your salvation. And so you know you're saved because your faith in Christ has resulted in a love for God and in a love for people. And that leads you to a life of obedience to the commands of God. You love Him. You say, Lord, wherever you lead, I'll go. Whatever you say, I'll do. Why? Because I love you. So here John has shown us the reason that there's such a mandate to love in Scripture. He's, he's, he's saying, first of all, it reflects this new nature that you have. You, you're not who you used to be, therefore you don't love like you used to love. Secondly, 
We love because God loves us. How can we not love? When we look at the cross and we see how much God loves us, how can we not love, y'all? When we look at that cross, when we see Calvary, and I'm not here to crucify Jesus again, but I tell you, there's nothing wrong with when you sing that song, The Old Rugged Cross. When you sing that song, Alas, and did my Savior bleed. When you sing those songs about the cross, there's nothing wrong with taking a trip in your mind back to Calvary and seeing that old rugged cross on Golgotha and seeing the one who died for you. You love because God loves you. So we love because of our new nature. We love because God loves us. We love because it's a testimony Christ has told us to have. That just as He had this testimony. Remember when, when Jesus was there at the, at the, uh, the funeral of, of, of Lazarus. And, and Mary and Martha were there. And everybody was just crying. It was just a mess. It was just a mess. People were loud and weeping and wailing. Lazarus was a young man who died. And those two words in John eleven thirty five, Jesus wept. And you know, and, and then it said that the people they looked over there, and here's what they said: They said, "Behold, how he loved." Jesus was crying in such a way, not like a paid mourner from those days, but he was crying in such a way where people said, "Man, look at him. He he loves him." And when the rich young ruler came, and there the rich young ruler was, so close to salvation, right at the door of salvation, wouldn't go in, turned around and walked away. And the Bible says Jesus, looking at him, loved him. People could look at Jesus and they could just see the love in him. They could see it. And that was the testimony. And so, so Jesus says, this is to be your testimony. The testimony of love. So we love because it reflects our new nature. We love because God loves us. We love because this is the testimony Jesus has told us to have. We love because we dwell in God. It's just natural. God is in us. We're in God. And that love comes out of us. We love because it gives us confidence in the day of judgment. We know that we're saved. Why? Because we love God and we love people. And it's a supernatural love. And this love brings us to maturity in the Lord where we have confidence in the day of judgment. And we love because it ultimately does confirm our salvation that you just can't be saved and not love God. And if you love God, you'll love people. So it's almost like this string of pearls John's just throwing on this necklace right here. Pearl after pearl after pearl after pearl after pearl. This is why we love Beautiful, beautiful section of Scripture here. Well, that ends chapter 4. We'll pick up with chapter 5 on, uh, on Sunday night. It won't be long and we'll be done with this uh, wonderful little book here. Uh, I want to remind